Let's pray as we approach God's Word together this morning. Lord, we come before You again with thanksgiving in our hearts, but with a desire as well for hearts that are open to receive Your truth, Your Word, to believe You, to know You, and grateful to be known by You. So open our hearts and our minds to receive the truth this morning that comes from Your Holy Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As a Christian, I am convinced that the Bible is the Word of God and every word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Scripture is the authority over me and not me over it. And this is certainly my presupposition when I come to the text. But as a historian, I find it very encouraging that there are interesting traces found in the biblical account of the resurrection story that can be used to add confidence in the truthfulness of the account. What am I trying to say? Well, the Bible says that Jesus rose from the dead, and so I believe it. And I'm also saying that I believe there are many good historical reasons, good evidence laid out in the text to believe the accounts given of Jesus rising from the dead because God's Word is truth. On this Resurrection Sunday morning, we're going to open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to see the narrative of the resurrection and two responses to the evidence. We're going to watch both as the women, two Marys to be precise, and the guards who were keeping watch over the tomb where Jesus was laid saw the same thing, but reacted very differently to what each saw. Now I want to give you some context and background before we get into the text. Jesus was crucified on Friday and His body was placed in a tomb. The tomb, we're told, of Joseph of Arimathea, a Pharisee, a wealthy man. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, were well aware of where the tomb was where Jesus' body was laid because Matthew tells us that they were actually there sitting opposite the tomb when the body of Jesus was put in it. And the stone was rolled in front of the tomb to block the way. As you probably know, we're not talking about a grave in the earth, uh, but more like a cave-like tomb. And a large stone moved in front of it. In order to make sure that nothing goes wrong, the priests and the Pharisees got together and they went to Pilate, the Roman governor, and they asked for soldiers to guard the tomb, to secure it. Why? Well, they were listening to what Jesus taught, probably better than the disciples in some ways. And they knew that Jesus had said that he was going to die, but that he was also going to rise again three days later. And so they didn't want there to be any funny business. In fact, we're told that they specifically don't want the disciples to come and steal the body and pretend that Jesus had arisen. And so that was their main concern, and they get the soldiers to guard the tomb. They're guarding the tomb. Likely, first they seal it, we're told, and probably with some sort of a wax seal. And then they stand guard. 
guarding that tomb. So the guards are there at the tomb until the morning of the first day of the week, and our passage picks up the events there. Turn to Matthew 28. It's page 835 in the Sanctuary Bibles. You can grab one from a seat in front of you if you want. Open it up. Keep it open so we can work through our text this morning. Matthew 28. Here now as I read verses 1 through 15. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. They ran to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Two responses, same event, two different groups. Let's start with the women. The women are the first of the disciples to encounter the evidence. Take a look at verse 1 there. It's important. We're going to come back to this. They come, interestingly, with a faith that has failed. Do you notice that? They came to see the tomb which tells us that they expected everything to be found the same way that they left it a couple days earlier. They weren't looking for a resurrection. They didn't think that Jesus was going to be risen when they went to see him at the tomb. Jesus in the tomb, a stone rolled in front of it. That's what they were expecting. From Mark's account of the same story, we're told that they were wondering who's going to move the stone away for them because they wanted to add spice and perfume to a decaying body. That's what they expected. They thought the body would still be there. No expectation that Jesus would have risen. They were very much expecting His corpse. It seems they weren't even aware that the stone would have been sealed nor that there would have been guards there at all. They didn't know. Like the other disciples who fled at the time of the crucifixion, these women who really seemed quite a bit more courageous, by the way, than the disciples, 
they too did not fully grasp, fully believe the things Jesus had taught. They, they didn't have the conceptual framework to believe such a thing. I think that's a big deal for us today too. But we serve a patient God, beloved. Notice what happens in verse 2. We're not sure exactly how the scene plays out, but, but here's what we do know. The earth shook as the angel came and rolled the stone away. We see in verses 2 and 3 that the angel opened the door to the tomb or moved the stone of the tomb, and his appearance is glorious. Reminds us of the transfiguration, if you know that scene. What do the women see? Look at verse 5. What do they see? They see the angel and an empty tomb. Did the women see the angel rolling the stone away? Perhaps, we're not sure, but the guards certainly saw something and it blew them away, quite literally. What we know for sure is that the women are beholding this one who appears like a man, this angel, in bright vestments, and he's, he's speaking to them. He's telling them something. He starts by telling them, do not be afraid, uh, which is a good place to start if they've seen something that way. But I think it's interesting that he doesn't tell the soldiers not to fear. I don't know. He goes on to say more here. He knows they've come to look for the crucified Jesus he knows that they're here to add spices and perfume. He knows that they didn't come believing that he had been raised like he said he would. So he tells them the news. Verse 6, he is not here, he has risen. Just as he said would take place. Beloved, that's important. Jesus had told them. They hadn't believed or they hadn't trusted what he was saying, or perhaps, and probably more likely, they hadn't quite understood. The angel, in some ways, is saying to them, and I think saying to us, your worldview hasn't been big enough to account for who Jesus really is. I think it's true for us today. For a long time, beloved, we have been convinced, our world has been convinced since the Enlightenment era, of a limited scientism and a rationalism that cannot even account for itself. So we constantly have to question the divine. But these women's paradigm and worldview is being shattered in this moment and reshaped. Suddenly, these women are beginning to think, so that's what he meant when he said those things. Some of you know, I listen to a lot of crime podcasts. I don't know if I should admit it, but I do. Maybe I should say it. No, I listen to all preaching all the time. And, but recently I was listening to uh, one in which these little children ran from their home to their grandparents' home, run to their grandmother to tell her of an attack that was happening at that time against their mom. And it was a time when they didn't have uh, access to 911, so they were telling her, you need to call the police. And the grandmother just could not comprehend what was being said. We're told that it took her a while because although the words that the kids were saying made sense, the idea that their mother was being attacked and hurt just didn't compute. Not in this small town. Not to our family. She, she didn't have the mental framework. But it was true nonetheless. Think of all the paradigm shifts that have occurred in history. New information can change everything. It seems something like that was happening to these women. 
they didn't have the categories to think in before. Resurrection? Someone coming back from the dead? What does that even mean? How can that be? So the angel points to the empty tomb. He says, come. You look for yourself. Come and see. Come and see where they had put him. That's why the angel rolled the stone away, by the way. It wasn't that Jesus needed them to roll it away so he could get out. It was so that the women and others could see in. To see that it's empty. And guess what, beloved? It's still empty. You know that historians wrestle with this reality regularly? The, the tomb was empty. And I don't know of any historian, I'm sure there's someone out there, but I don't know of any secular historian even that studies that era of history and the New Testament era and period, any historian who denies that the tomb was in fact empty. It can't be denied. Jesus' body was not there on the morning of that third day. The angel points to the empty tomb as evidence of a resurrection. They may say it's something else that happened, but the angel is saying that's the sign of resurrection. Come and see. And he adds this, once you've seen, go and tell. Because there's more to come. It's not just an empty tomb. They're given a mission. Notice what he says, go and tell the disciples that Jesus is risen from the dead and tell them something more, that Jesus will go ahead of them to Galilee and you will see him there. Beloved, that is a promise and a commitment that Jesus was making to the disciples and to these women. And I want you to keep this in mind. Christianity fundamentally hinges on the validity of one historical event. The resurrection. The physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead close the doors, turn out the lights. The Apostle Paul says, if Christ hasn't risen, we're the most to be pitied. How true. But the angel, by the way, doubles down. Notice what he says. He says, see, I have told you. First he said, Jesus told you before it happened. I'm telling you now that it has happened. Trust me, the tomb is empty because Jesus has risen. You will see him again. Go tell the disciples. The women are the first witnesses to an empty tomb. Look at verse 8 because there's more. Now they're going to be the first witnesses to the risen Lord. Verse 8, in faith, these women depart, but it's kind of a mixed faith, isn't it? They have fear and great joy. I think sometimes we're that way. Confusion, excitement, anticipation. On the one hand, that, that was a terrifying experience for them. On the other hand, it was an exhilarating experience. The body's not there. Clearly, they believe something's happened out of the ordinary they're running off to tell the disciples something more happens. Verse 9, they encounter Jesus. The one they went to see dead, they now see alive. How's that for shattering paradigms and worldviews? Imagine the moment. And let, me, let me say this. They're not the only ones to have seen the resurrected Jesus. Paul names many in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, written just a couple of decades after this moment. And Paul says, guess what? 
there most of those people that saw him are still alive go ask them that's what paul was saying he says not one of those people ever recanted that they saw a resurrected jesus you can't get five people to agree on something especially if they're armenian by the way but anyway uh it Imagine how many Paul talks about. But back to our account here in verse 9, it's one of the most underwhelming greetings for an overwhelming moment. Jesus appears to them and He says, hello. Not, I'm back. I don't know what He would have said, but it's just greetings. Hello. He's still the same Lord and, and Master they had known, now in a glorified, but yes, human body that they would have recognized, physical, raised from the dead. And he says, basically, with his greeting, it's me. As I said, death could not keep me. I've done what I came to do. Notice this. He doesn't reprimand them. Why'd you go to the grave? I told you I wouldn't be there. No, not our Jesus. He doesn't rebuke them for their lack of faith or being a little confused. He graciously, patiently appears and even tells them again like the angel, do not be afraid. And I think implicit there is don't be afraid. You're going to understand. It's going to make sense to you. This is their Master and their Lord. And look at their response because they get it right now. Something's changed. Now that they're seeing the resurrected Jesus, they know He is more than just their teacher and rabbi. Suddenly, they understand a lot more of what He had been saying to them. Why? Their limited worldview has now been flung open. And so they worship Him. It's all beginning to come together, beloved. It's like their understanding has suddenly grown and they just realize who He is and they cannot help but fall on their knees and worship because the resurrection brings everything together. It is the hinge. Without it, we have nothing. But with it, we have everything. They're given a, a mission and a message. Again, they said, okay, Jesus sends, says, go, tell my Disciples that go to Galilee, I will meet them there. But this time, Jesus calls the disciples His brothers. Do you notice that? It's a word of restoration. Because I want you to think about who these disciples were and where they had gone when Jesus was being crucified. They had fled. They ran scared. He was left all alone. And notice that it's the women that come to the tomb and not the men, not the disciples. They were afraid. Peter, his closest companion, denied him three times, including saying that he doesn't even know Jesus. He called curses upon himself. Jesus says, go. Tell my brothers. Tell my brothers. Tell the guys hiding out right now, the scaredy cats. Tell them it's okay. Go to Galilee. I will be there. It is going to be well. You will see me. Listen, there's something really important about the disciples who fled and were terrified and hiding out to suddenly become bold and willing to die for the message they were preaching about their Lord. 
And we're going to come back to it. Before we move on, I want to point out a few other things. Keep this in mind. Women's testimonies were not admitted as legally valid in that era, in that world. Don't let the significance of that truth be lost. If these accounts were untrue, if they wanted to be, you know, make up some sort of an account to make their case sound better, if they were fabricated to, to falsely support a made-up resurrection, why on earth would you make up the testimony of those who wouldn't be trusted anyway? It doesn't make sense. By the way, as historians, these are the very things we'd look for. We'd see that the, this idea that the women are the first witnesses could in reality be an embarrassment to the Christian cause. And if that's true, then secular historians would say that is far more credible. You don't make something up that's embarrassing. Adding to that thought, listen to what a Christian apologist wrote. He says, moreover, why would the Christian church humiliate its leaders by having them hiding in cowardice in Jerusalem while the women boldly carry out their last devotion to Jesus' body, unless this were in fact true. Matthew now turns to show a powerful contrast between the women and the soldiers who were guarding the tomb. Look back at verse 4 first, if you will. You see the guards' reaction to the angel and the stone being rolled away. It's kind of fascinating. Here's what we're told. You can see it in verse 4. For fear of him... The guards trembled. By the way, that word tremble is the same root as the word earlier used for earthquake. So the earthquake, and now they quaked. For fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Many scholars have pointed out the irony. They were there to guard the body of a dead man to make sure no one claims he's alive. Instead, they become as dead men because he's very much alive. Imagine these guards. They're the best trained, ready for any human opposition, any human attack. They're waiting for the disciples to come and make an attempt at the body. That's why they were there. That's what they were hired for. That's why they're paid. Little did they know that the disciples were too terrified. They had lost hope. They weren't trying to come up with some sort of manipulative plan to steal the body. They were trying to survive and move on. But imagine these guards confronted by, by this scene. Sometimes when we're afraid, our bodies just kind of shut down. It seems to me that that's kind of what's happening to them here. Matthew intentionally states it this way. He says, while they, that is the women, verse 11, by, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. You have the women going and you have the guards going at the same time. Totally different responses. I would have loved to have seen the priests' faces when the guards go back and go like, um, so, priest, something happened. Something. I know you want us to be ready for anything, but that we were not ready for. Why only some of the guard? few thoughts. Maybe some stayed behind to make sure if someone did come to check on them that they would be there. Perhaps some disagreed with the idea. Don't go to the priest. Don't go tell them. What are they going to think? Maybe they were trying to come up with an exit plan instead. Maybe they didn't think the priest would believe them. Who knows? But I want you to notice this in the text. The chief priests and the elders, they come together to figure out how to respond to the situation. 
notice what they don't do. They don't deny the empty tomb. Never an account of the denial of the empty tomb. Not in history. There's no denial that the body isn't there, nor in this account do we have any denial that there's an angelic being or some being that was there that moved the stone. The soldiers didn't do it. They know these things happened. They're, they're scrambling to find a way to hide what happened from the people because they hate the idea of what happened. They don't want to face the reality of what has happened. Because if people heard this news, well, the whole world would change. Friends, it did. It happened. And the whole world changed. And there is no other explanation for how Jesus of Nazareth could change the entire world other than the fact that, yes, He resurrected. It did happen. And the people closest to Him saw and believed We'll come back to this. Here the priest's plan. Bribe the soldiers with money and protect them from Pilate. Sounds like a good plan. Give the soldiers enough money to make it worth their while so they will lie and take the blame. What are they supposed to say? They're supposed to say, hey, look, we fell asleep. The disciples came. They moved the stone. They took the body. And there you have it. There's a few problems with this, though. If they were asleep, how do they know the disciples came? stole the body if they were asleep nearby how did they not wake up when the stone this large stone which was sealed by them was being moved out of the way soldiers wouldn't fall asleep on the job their lives depended on it that's why the priest had to add in verse 14 that we're going to have to bribe Pilate too if necessary if he finds out because he knows that Pilate would condemn them to death because that's what, soldier, what happens to soldiers if they fall asleep on the job. Don't let him worry you. Just spread this lie. We'll take care of the other stuff. Man, some things never change, beloved. One other issue, the disciples were hopeless and they were afraid. They're not capable of not thinking about a plot to take the body of their dead master. It wasn't on their minds. The fact that this is their story However, the story that was spread confirms at least this much. The tomb was empty. And they could never produce Jesus' body. If they could, can you imagine? they just bring the body and say, here it is. How dare you? They'd laugh at us. They'd laugh at the Christians. They never produced a body. There was no possibility that it was thrown into a shallow grave and eaten by dogs, as one supposed scholar tried to claim. They know of no evidence other than this. The tomb was empty and everyone believed it. They just had to explain it away. Some interesting parallels with the women and the guards. They both saw the same angel. The women had fear, but it was mixed with great joy. The guards only had fear. They both were given a message to carry. The women ran quickly to tell the disciples. The guards spread their story to the people. Two different outcomes. The message of the women changed the world. The message of the guards was just another cover-up. It did what it was meant to do. It caused some doubt and kept some people talking, but it couldn't stop the power of the kingdom of God. Let's come back to a few key thoughts. Women as witnesses would have been an embarrassment. Historians call this the criterion of embarrassment. 
that tells us this wouldn't be made up to convince people. And if that's true, then this did happen. The disciples, though we didn't see much of them in this passage, we know what happens after this. What happens after all of these accounts? The disciples who fled in fear, who were hiding out, scared out of their minds, go on, each one of them, to suffer and die for the sake of this message. They preach throughout the known world as witnesses to this one reality, the resurrection of Jesus. They preach boldly. They preach powerfully. They put their lives on the line because they are convinced that He is the resurrection and the life. Why would they suddenly be empowered to a new boldness? What changed? Would such a group be emboldened by stealing a body and declaring a Savior they know is dead? This doesn't add up. Why would they be willing to die for something they know is false? How do you get so many people to lie and actually, about actually seeing the risen Lord without anyone coming forward, anyone at all, saying, well, actually, here's where we hid the body. This is how we did it. Beloved, the world changed. Jesus of Nazareth promised in the first century that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. He said it starts out very small, but it will grow and grow and grow and it will fill the entire world. Is that not an accurate description of Christianity? How? From the backwoods of Jerusalem to overwhelming the entire world, all because the tomb was empty. Paul the Apostle turned from killing Christians to preaching Jesus how the tomb was empty and he saw the risen Lord. The resurrection of Jesus tells us this. His sacrifice on the cross was accepted by God. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, Paul says in Romans 4. Those who are united to Jesus by faith in Him experience resurrection spiritually now and will experience it physically one day. This is the promise. This is the hope. This is what His rising guaranteed. Death and sin have been defeated. And Jesus Christ reigns. Amen? Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? The greatest enemy of humanity, sin and death, conquered by a risen Lord who has transformed the world. Friends, Jesus did this all for you if you will trust Him. If you will receive by faith what He has accomplished on your behalf. You see, the issue isn't the evidence. Because the evidence is clear for those willing to see it. In one of Jesus' parables regarding Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man was confined in Hades, asks Abraham to send someone to warn his brothers of where he has come, that they may not also join him there. And he tells Abraham, he says, look, if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent, they'll listen. And Abraham says in response, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, Neither will, they believe, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. 
the issue isn't the evidence. It's the heart. Friends, open your hearts today to receive what the God of creation has done for you. Made a way to cover your sins. Conquer death. And bring you back into a relationship with Him. Jesus has defeated sin and death. He has risen. And only those who are found in Him by faith will one day rise too. Otherwise, we will remain in our sins and have to pay the consequence on our own. Why hold on instead of letting go and trusting the One who came, who lived, who died, who rose again. May we cling to Christ, grateful that He came to bear our sins, earn for us life, grateful that the tomb was empty so that our lives are not. May we trust the resurrected Lord and follow Him wherever He leads. Christ is risen. He is risen Indeed, let us pray. Lord, we are grateful to You for Your Word, for Your truth, for the witness, the testimony, the historical evidence. And we're grateful for the work You did. We came and talked about it on Friday. You bore our sins on that cross. You took the penalty of what we deserved and You did it freely. The cost was yours. The gift was ours. I pray for anyone who is in this room right now or even listening online that if they have not yet tasted and seen of the goodness of what Christ has done, the resurrected Lord, may today be the day of salvation. We pray, Lord, that we would trust in the victory You had over death and sin. Lord, we know that every other philosopher, every other thinker has tried to come up with a way to to deal with death, but there is no answer. But Christ, the risen one, let us cling to you alone and find our hope in our resurrected Lord, in whose name we pray, amen.